Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to this edition of All Options Considered. I'm Tanvir Sandhu, Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg. On this episode, we will focus on the UK and explore the economic outlook after the autumn statement. I'm joined by Dan Hansen, Senior UK Economist at Bloomberg Economics. Dan, great to have you on. Thanks, Tanvir. So the UK has got its act together following the record volatility in the bond market. We hit levels of vol way above what we saw during the financial crisis. And we have since seen that political premium in volatility being removed from levels that we saw as unsustainable. Still, implied volatility is high, but that is more about the macro picture rather than politics. So the fiscal outlook has deteriorated and the gilt market faces an unprecedented amount of supply. So what did you make of the autumn statement, given, you know, households are now facing the largest fall in living standards since the Office for National Statistics began its records? I think for us, we were looking at two things. So the first thing was how much support he was going to, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt was going to announce in the near term. And we got some, we got quite a lot of information about that. And actually it was, the package he announced was probably a little bit more supportive than it w- at least we thought. So the tough decisions have been delayed. And in effect, I think the way you can think about that and going back to your starting point about credibility is that he kind of banked on the credibility that he'd built by undoing a lot of the mini budget um, on the 17th of October, that's when Hunt undid a lot of the measures. And obviously the credibility built up um, by having Rishi Sunak as the as the Prime Minister, and so he's the ex, ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer, and he's known for being willing to make tough decisions, particularly on taxes. So all of those things combined saw the consolidation, which is, is significant. It's you know, £55 billion of fiscal consolidation. But it comes at the back end of the OBR's forecast, um, and particularly the spending cuts come at the back end of the OBR's forecast. There are some small, smaller tax increases that start to ramp up earlier in the forecast period. Two broad takeaways we had, sort of more support on energy in the near term than we thought, um, yeah. and a more backloaded consolidation plan, um, and taking advantage of that, of that credibility he seems to have built up sort of in the few weeks that he was, he was Chancellor prior to the announcement. And that was the, the big lesson from the trust government uh, about maintaining credibility in the market going forward the gilt market faces you know a huge amount of supply at a time when the boe is going to be actively reducing its balance sheet and selling gilts so somewhere around 40 billion a year yeah as well as the emergency purchases it made to intervene in the bond market you know i think it's a big moment for the market and there are concerns on what price the supply gets cleared at and overseas buyers have been the main net buyer in recent years but they've dropped off recently and they've actually been a large net sellers of gilts so there is this concern in the market on who will be buying all this supply of gilts and how far uh, yields need to adjust but I'll add to that, you know, the main driver of the long end of the bond market has been policy rate expectations. However, 
you know, the large extents of supply that the market needs to absorb, you know, can see that disconnect. But overall, it may not end up being so volatile. In terms of the BOE height cycle, yep. my view, I don't see the BOE going so far as the economy may be able to handle, you know, maybe above 4% for a very long period of time. So, I mean, the first thing to say is I broadly agree with you in terms of the, um, in terms of where rates will peak. I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, that four, four and a bit, um, and not for too long is probably the, the right way to think about it, but we can get into sort of more specifics where what's important to the bank from what was announced is the energy package. And as I say, it's more, um, it's more generous than they had assumed in their in their November their for, in their November forecast. So there is going to be a little bit more demand in their forecast, I think, than than they'd expected in November. Um, now, does that mean has that changed our, our outlook for rates? I don't. It hasn't. I think a good bet at the moment is is sort of four four and a bit um, by early next year. What's going to be difficult, of course, is that once they get to this level, you've, you've already mentioned it, we've got this very intense squeeze on living standards that's happening in the UK. We're probably already in recession. So the question is going to be really, you know, you've got this very difficult economic backdrop, but you've still got inflation that is going to be well above target. And it's at what point, you know, what, what gives really and what, what do they think? Uh, when are they going to feel comfortable starting to cut? It's it's kind of a tough one to play so far out in terms of the cut pricing. I mean, we could do it through call options on in the money markets. Uh, like you say, headline inflation should fall back quickly on the energy base effects. Whether the UK can handle above 4% for a long period of time remains sceptical about that. But the key risk is going to be elevated uh, core inflation, right, and wage inflation. So that's the thing potentially that may uh, keep the rate higher than maybe the market anticipates. Uh, and that's the key risk in kind of playing the BOE is going to cut maybe in the latter latter part of 2023. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So what what the, the bank is, is really been worried about the whole of this year is, is this interaction between high inflation and seeing high inflation and how that influences how workers go about bargaining for for high wages and how firms set prices and it it's that and that embedding of um higher price and inflation expectations into the sort of wage and price setting process that they are most worried about and it will you're absolutely right that will manifest itself in um in continued strong wage growth and continued strong core inflation because as you say you get you get the energy base effect that sort of that's a mechanical thing and we'll get inflation falling. I think that's certainly the thing that they're they're going to be worried about is um is this embedding of inflation. But sort of the flip side of that is that if we have this and we already have and we're already in what seems to be a, a weak demand environment, that at some point is going to feed through to the labor market um, right. and the unemployment rate. And I think <clears throat> if I'm honest, I think if the bank sees that, if they see a turnaround in um, not just the unemployment rate, but also the vacancies data has been exceptionally strong, and that's the same in the US as well. You see, it's, it's a very good gauge of labor demand that. If they see that turning round, I think that will, as I said before, that will open the door to them thinking a little bit more 
certainly about stopping hiking and at some point beginning to cut. But you're right, it's very difficult to pinpoint the exact point at which the pivot will come. I mean, I just say the sort of thinking underpinning our forecast is that, you know, inflation at the end of 2023 in our forecast is still at 4%. So it's just, you know, still double the bank's target. And it it seems very low compared to where we are today, but it's still double where they're meant to be. So just in that context, it's going to be hard to sort of take the foot off the brake completely. Um, but I certainly think you're you're right about the four percent mark as a as something that's difficult for the UK economy to tolerate. I mean, with with mortgages, yes, we do have a high proportion of fixed rate mortgages, which will delay you know the impact. But on the other hand, you have beha- behavioural effects where consumers start reining in spending on expectations of higher mortgage costs in the pipe. One thing that kind of always worries me is capex. And then we're still below the EU referendum levels. It's probably going to get worse, given the outlook in terms of growth and higher taxes. Uh, how, what, what's your sense around capex? Well, I think it's. I actually think next year capex could be probably not the weakest bit if you think of sort of expenditure GDP. I mean, the, the big story is around the consumer squeeze, but I think business investment is going to play a big role in the fall in GDP next year because of the, exactly what I've just mentioned about how quickly um, firms experience um, the rise in interest rates that's going on. And you add into that the, the environment that we're in. Um, I'm actually quite pessimistic about about the outlook for, for investment. So to just give you some sort of very rough numbers, sort of in the run-up to the pandemic, um, business investment was, was about 10% of GDP. In our forecast, it it recovers somewhat after the fall uh, next year, but it's, it ends the forecast at about 9% of GDP. Now, part of that as well is because the, we had a massive fall in the pandemic, and it just never recovered. Reasons for that, I mean, it, it's hard. Brexit is one of the reasons, perhaps, but it's hard to pin that directly on Brexit, you know, but it, there is a big gap. There is a big shortfall. Right. So, so I think, you know, there's... Um, you're right to flag it. I mean, that's a really, and it, it seems to be a UK, more UK centric than other other bits of the globe as well. There has been this productivity slowdown across the globe. Like, there's no doubt about that. But the UK has experienced it more, and that's one force that pushes down on uh, long end yields. Yes. Uh, yep. So Absolutely. we have this low growth outlook. You could argue that long end yields are capped ultimately. So that's ultimately leads to volatility going down. But what you mentioned about the wide range of views, the vol market has to reflect that. So you've got, on one hand, an elevated level of vol because of the macro dispersion. Other hand, you've got long-end yields are capped because of this uh, low growth concept that's structurally weighing down. Even though we've got this uh, you know, supply wave coming through mm-hmm. uh, that probably will disconnect us from the front end, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see a volatile outcome from that. That was great, Dan. Thanks for joining us on this edition of All Options Considered. 